Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. All right, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Christina Gonzalez at her home in Portland. It's June 27th, 2019. Thanks so much for joining us today, Christina. We really appreciate this. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is exciting. So let's start you off by asking you a nice, easy question, which is why wine? Um, well, I when I originally got into wine, it was because I was looking for a way to continue traveling. And... Um, and plus it kind of combined everything that I um, love together, which is you know, meeting new people, experiencing new cultures, and like the food and wine aspect. And that's what really kind of just hooked me was the whole food and wine together. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so um, I was just finishing college and didn't want to get a real job yet. And so I had, I studied, um, Spanish and International Studies at Humboldt State in Northern California. And so I um, had traveled abroad. That's where I learned most of my Spanish. And um, so I went back to South America and I lived in um, Chile and Argentina. And so it was there that I really started to get into wine. And I mean, it was really just like Chilean, it was just box wine to start. And then, like, as I got into it more, um, I was just, I just started to really, um, just really start to get interested in wine. And then, um, in Chile, you can only stay for three months, so we'd have to go cross the border to Argentina um, to renew our tourist visas. So, on this one trip, I had to go and renew my visa, and we went to Mendoza um, in Argentina, which is, you know big wine epicenter of Argentina and um, I, that's where I did like my first actual wine tasting and um, so I tried just this ridiculously delicious Malbec and you know Argentina is also known for um, their steak, um, their grass-fed beef and so it was just that combination of, I don't remember what cut of steak it was but <laughs> you can go um, do the parias and the like you can just point to the piece of cow and so I think I don't know I just picked one and then a glass a glass of Malbec and I um, it was just that combination and I think um, the people and the that culture and the way that um, food and wine not only go together but it brings people together mm-hmm. and so after that I was I was just kind of hooked on the wine aspect and then I was still trying to figure out how am I going to still travel because I'm kind of a gypsy and I, I definitely have the wander wanderlust <laughs> so um so yeah and then I came back to my parents live in northern California in Santa Rosa in Sonoma County which is also a huge wine country and um so I just my mom was in a wine club and I started tasting wine with her I moved back to um, where I went to college in Humboldt State, and they have um, a wine community up there. And so that's when I really started to get interested in the production side of things. 
um, because I already knew that I that I like I had this inkling and this like really new interest and hobby and I really wanted to learn more mm. and so I started talking to winemakers up there and that's actually how I really got started in the industry in production was um, I got invited during harvest to come out to um, this winemaker's winery which was just an old barn up on a hill in the fog. <laughs> um, and I helped them press um, their cab and it was like an old basket press and it was cold and wet and rainy, but they like provided us this amazing meal and it was like salmon and like, like cedarwood plank salmon and you know, wine and I don't remember what else it was, but it was like, okay, I'm up on a hill in the middle of the fog and freezing, but this is awesome. <laughs> and um, so that's like, I was like, okay, this is like, I know what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I came back um, to Santa Rosa and um, started in a tasting room. Mm -hmm. And then I worked my way um, into the cellar, not knowing a thing <laughs> in the cellar. Um, and uh, a friend of mine kind of um, thought I had more experience on a forklift than I did. Um, <laughs> but he offered me a job and um, I did my first harvest in 2006 mm. um, in the Alexander Valley um, in Sonoma County. And then, um, and that's when, then I started harvest hopping. So then I started like the traveling part because I didn't have a degree. I don't have a degree in analogy or viticulture. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've taken some classes um, at community colleges and mm -hmm. um, it was really just for me, just gaining experience. And I, I learn through um, hands-on experience. That's the best way for me to learn. Mm -hmm. um, so I got, you know, um, I was exposed to the lab and, and to the cellar and, um, you know, out in the vineyard. Um, and learning how to drive a forklift really, really fast. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that's, that's how it really started. And then uh, we did harvest hopping, um, and I went to Australia and Tasmania. Mm -hmm. And um, in between there, that's when I came up to Oregon. And, you know, that was like kind of at the time when Sideways had come out, so Pinot was all the rage. And, you know, I was like, and I had always down in Sonoma County, like they're also known for their Pinot Noir. So that's where I was like, I kind of thought I was going with winemaking. And so that's what brought me up here. Um, and I did, um, I interned at Willikenzie. Um, and that was back, I guess that was 07. And I just kind of fell in love with Oregon um, and just, what a beautiful state it is and just the people here in the Willamette Valley and you know I, I lived at the intern house um, in Dundee Hills mm -hmm. and you know really got the full I guess um, Willamette Valley um, experience mm -hmm. and you know went to IPNC at Linfield and um, really was just um, exposed to all of um, the Oregon wine industry at, at that time. Mm -hmm. 
So back up a second before we get back to Oregon. Uh, I'm curious, you, you mentioned kind of starting to enjoy wine while you were in South America and, and having the kind of life-changing Malbec. I'm curious, um, at, what, at any point down there, did you think this is something I'm going to do for, like, for a living? What, what, was, there, was there ever this kind of like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do wine? Not down there. It was more, it was when I came um, up here mm -hmm. and when, um, when I was living back in Humboldt County that it was like, okay, this is really it. Like, this is what I want to do. Because mm -hmm. I like working hard. Like, I like getting dirty. I like being physical. Um, but I also like to enjoy myself, you know, with a, um, a glass of wine and, and, and a great meal. And, you know, the people... People in production who are making wine, um, they're just, I've, I mean, I mean, all of the, the Oregon industry is great, but like, we, there's just such wonderful down-to-earth people. Um, and so it was really just, yeah, when I started to see the production aspect, that that's what really got me hooked. So now you're in Oregon and you've decided this is kind of what you want to do. So take me through the next steps, how you get to where you're at now. Well, um, so after my internship at Willa Kenzie, um, then I went, I went to Tasmania mm -hmm. and I came back and um, I knew I didn't want to be in California. Um, I had a boyfriend at the time that was from Oregon mm -hmm. and um, was going to get a job up here and so we decided that we were going to move back here. Um, didn't work out, um, but I ended up staying, um, and I moved up here like in 2009, mm -hmm. and that's um, when I started looking for work um, in the Willamette Valley, mm -hmm. and um, I ended up getting a job at A to Z Wineworks, Rex Hill, mm -hmm. um, in the cellar, and I stayed there for about five years. Mm -hmm. um, and then I really got, um, I really got to see everything um, at A to Z. Um, I went from uh, production to the lab um, to shipping and receiving, and I ended up finishing um, my time there as the bottling line manager. Um, so yeah, I really did get to see it all, and um, I was so grateful um, to work there. Um, they're just wonderful wonderful people and you know they just they treat their employees like family and um it was just always a great experience and and super fun mm -hmm. so so yeah and then um i was there up until um to 2013 mm -hmm. but it was during that time at a to z that i started making my own wine mm -hmm. and um, i started my own label so it was in 2009 um, with a friend of mine that was working there. He was, he was actually the bottling line manager and I was like the warehouse manager. And we both had this love of Malbec. And so, um, you know, I wanted to try my hand at really like making my own wine and, um, and he also wanted to. And so we just found a ton of Malbec um, from Yakima and uh, we were able to process it at A to Z, but we had to then take it back to his garage in McMinnville. <laughs> and that's actually where we made, that's where we made our wine that year. And that was the, the first, yeah, the first vintage was 2009 and it was DBCG, which was like both of our initials, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. yeah. 
so yeah that's when um that was my first vintage and then i went um commercial um because that was just kind of you know like garage like our house wine we were just kind of experimenting and then in 2010 i guess was my first official gonzalez wine company vintage so what was it about winemaking that appealed to you um i think for me it's um well it's just the fact of turning like i mean turning this cluster of grapes into this I mean, amazing beverage that is constantly changing. Um, and that's just fascinating um, for me. Like I was trying my wines on Tuesday and I mean, literally like, you know, I had tasted, it was this, the, the 2016 Syrah Grenache that I had made and I had just tasted it maybe like two weeks earlier and I was like, oh my goodness, like this is like so much different than, you know, from a couple weeks ago. And so, um, it it's really just like that whole aspect, like that process, that evolution. Um, and then also just like seeing it go from being out in the vineyard, you know, because that, that's where I feel like that's really where the winemaking is done, um, is, you know, good quality grapes and, you know, finding the right grower. Like I don't, I don't have a vineyard, so, and, you know, finding Malbec, um, it's getting more popular, you know, but, um, you know, so far, like I have to, I've really had to seek it out um, in some years. And so finding somebody, um, a grower that you're on the right page with who, and like being a small boutique producer that I am, you know, if I'm only getting a ton of grapes, you know, it's finding that grower that's gonna work with me mm. to be like, okay, you want it picked at so-and-so bricks, mm. like, and who's, you know, willing to do that instead of, you know, being like, nope, sorry, you're so small, you're just going to have to wait until, like, we're picking for a whole bunch of people, which, you know, I understand both sides of that, but, you know, when you're only working with a small bit, like, that really matters, like, of picking those grapes at the, at the right time. Um, so, yeah, it, it's definitely, um, the winemaking happens, I feel like, um, definitely in the vineyard, and then when you get um, into production um, and into the whole process it can be I think the the winemaker part of it comes um, when there's problems to be had and when problems because I mean the wine will pretty much make itself you grow good grapes like it, it'll do its thing mm -hmm. and um, I have a pretty hands-off technique now or that's my philosophy is a more minimalist intervention um, and I found that finding um, the right grower I have had you know very few problems um, with the winemaking part and it's just you know keeping it clean which I'm sure every winemaker you talk to pretty much <laughs> says the same thing like that's 90% of our job is keeping it clean. And the other part, you know, is then the problem solving part mm -hmm. of it. Um, but yeah, I think winemaking, it was just that, just the all encompassing aspect of it all. Mm -hmm. um, but particularly being out, seeing the grapes, where the site is, where they're grown, meeting, having that relationship with, with your grower, um, I think is really an important part of the winemaking process. Mm -hmm. um, what I was gonna ask you. We did the winemaker part. Right, 
So I was gonna. I was curious. So you're talking about um, your the grape the, the wines you make are obviously u sort of unique to this area. You're not, not not a lot of Malbec being made in Oregon. And obviously no. hard to find grapes. So how did you go? How do you go about finding those growers and finding those relationships? Um, you know, most of the time. Um, I have, it's either been through friends who have gotten like similar varietals or, you know, bigger varietals that are similar to what I'm working with um, and who have pointed me in the right direction. It's been um, winebusiness.com, um, mm -hmm. um, winejobs.com, mm -hmm. where I found, I found actually my uh, first grower in Oregon. Um, I found him on there, um, Randy Gold. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, Southern Oregon, I usually find my grapes or um, this year out in Washington um, in Yakima um, and that's through other winemakers. And then, I mean, cause I also make, you know, wine in California. And so down there it's the same, it's the same thing. Um, you know, it's um, using the community that um, will help point you um, in the right direction. And of course the internet, so. <laughs> So yeah, um, so that's usually how I've found the grapes that I work with, and um, I predominantly uh, I'm I always try and do a Malbec because mm -hmm. that's you know my homage to how <laughs> how I fell in love with wine. And um, but I mean again, like it it really depends because it depends where um, we're getting um, the you know if if I can find Malbecs. This that's my roommate Sean. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, it just really, um, it can be very dependent um, on the accessibility mm -hmm. and, and to be honest, um, a lot with price because I am um, a shoestring winemaker. Um, this is all funded um, through me and, um, you know, God bless my parents um, <laughs> who have helped and, you know, from profit that I've made through wine sales. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so it, it really is dependent on the grower, um, you know, to meet my specifications for um, vineyard practices. And then, um, you know, also if the price is right. Um, so all that definitely comes uh, into play. And again, if, if, if I can find it. So, sure. you know, but um, it really does, Malbec, Syrah have been my two, um, my two big wines, um, and then the Petit Verdot for my son, um, the Revolutionary. That's um, that's also been a big one. That's what I'll probably be getting from Washington this year is mm -hmm. more Petit Verdot. Mm -hmm. But like you know, last year I couldn't get any Petit Verdot, so you know his blend this year is going to be Malbec and Carignan. So yeah, it, it like it really can be dependent on just what what I can get sure. and what is in my budget. Sure. So let's talk about making wine without a, having a winery, without having a vineyard, having kind of shoestring budget. So how do you go about getting your wines made, processed, sold? How do you find space and and, and make that work? I have really good friends <laughs> that <laughs> that love me. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, for, um, it, it is, it's again, um, it's friends um, who um, basically, uh, you know, taking mercy on me um, to uh, allow me to make 
my wine there for a minimal price or like, you know, do some kind of trade mm -hmm. where, you know, trading work for, you know, space. Um, and, you know, I mean, we all have to pay, like, regardless, but, you know, I, I do have friends who have definitely helped before. Um, so yeah, it really, it's a, a custom crush thing. Mm -hmm. And um, yes, usually um, friends who, who have been helping me out, like um, where I make my wine in California right now is um, at a friend's winery. Um, but I've been there now for years, so I'm, I'm you know, one of their custom crush clients. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's just a very family-oriented, I mean, all of our kids are there to play, um, and they're there in the winery, um, you know, and so it's just, it's fun, and we have, we have a good time together, which is why I continue to make um, wine there, but I also, um, I am based in Portland. Mm -hmm. I, this, is, this is my home. Um, I don't plan to move to California, and so, um, yeah, the same. I've I've got you know a friend this year who um, I'm going to be making some wine here. Who's got a winery, so you know I'll be um, I'll be part of like I guess the the urban um, winemakers um, here in Portland. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, like it's really dependent on um, who loves me <laughs> <laughs> and who can you know. Um, and again, price. So, because I am um, a small production, um, but I'm growing, which is that's really exciting. So, so let's talk about that. You're you're about a decade or so into now making commercial wine. Um, do you have a goal in mind? Do you have a size in mind? Do you have what are your kind of what are you working on now for the future? Um, so, um, in the near future, it's I would love to be. Um, I would like to be at a thousand cases next year mm -hmm. and the following year um, 2,500 cases mm -hmm. um, my real goal is um, my business has been able to sustain itself for for a while mm -hmm. um, but I need to be um, making a profit so I can pay myself um, and you know I was raising my son who's now five um, for obviously until and I'm still raising him, but you know, now that he's going into school, um, that gives me a little bit more time. But before that, it was just being a stay-at-home mom, and so that was kind of like my focus. I mean, I was still making wine, but it was like just kind of more of like my my side hustle mm -hmm. at the time. Um, and now, being divorced and a single mom, like um, I got to step up my game. So um, it's about you know making enough money, being self-sufficient, um, so I can provide for my family. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's where um, I'm really, I'm going for it now. Um, and I know I can. Um, and so, yeah, now it's just a matter of just keep on going and, um, yeah, just really reaching um, for those goals. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, somebody comes along, um, an investor to help, that would be great, but you know, otherwise I'm going to make it happen on my own. Yeah. Let's talk about the philosophy of your wine company. Obviously you have kind of a, you have a kind of an interesting philosophy about wine. So tell me about what it is you want Gonzalez Wine Company to, to stand for. Um, so a big part of that for me is, um, you know, I think in general when people think of wine, they think of it as being like 
pretty pretentious. Um, and it's trying to take that out of it and bring in just, you know, anybody. I want my wines to be accessible to anybody who walks into a grocery store um, and can look at, you know, the wine section and if they find my wine and see that, you know, oh, this is something that I can afford. Um, so that has been a really big thing for me um, and probably why I'm not making more money than I do um, because I tried, I've, I've, I've kept my prices like really low so it makes it accessible um, to everybody. Um, and also being Latina, um, you know, I'm also, I would love to see, you know, other Latinos walking into a grocery store, um, you know, other people, you know, of color and just um, uh, of all walks of life and economic backgrounds. Like I, I want everybody to be able um, to experience wine mm -hmm. and be able to afford it and to know that, you know, um, for $25, you can get a good quality bottle of wine mm -hmm. um, and go to your table and sit down with your family or friends and enjoy it with a meal or, or by itself. Um, so that's, you know, one, one big part of Gonzales Wine Company. Um, and then it's also, um, I also have like a, um, an old world style where um, I really am trying to keep the um, acidity um, in my wines and you know part of that reason is so that they are food friendly mm -hmm. um, so you can enjoy it by itself but you can also have it as a meal because that also brings it back to how I got into wine was enjoying it um, around a meal um, and I see that's a lot what you find in, in old world wines and the old world style is yeah. there's still that um, acidity that is there and that also helps to keep it age worthy um, with a higher acidity. Mm -hmm. So that also. And then, you know, part of um, Gonzales Wine Company is also, you know, women-owned, women-run, mm -hmm. um, Latina, like um, just also kind of stepping into that, that power and that movement that we're seeing now, um, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, and I um, hope and I'm happy to be part of that. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. how do you go about marketing wine at at the size you're at, and and as you're trying to build towards the future, how do you get your name out there? Um, a lot of it is through social media. Um, a lot of social media. Um, that's I mean I've that's how I've gotten to be sitting right here, I think, <laughs> you know, has really been through, um, yeah, the social media aspect of it and really like, you know, bumping up my game in social media um, and asking for help. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, working with people who actually know about marketing and social media, which is not really my forte, but, you know, the fact that I have been able to work with, with a marketing manager, I think has gotten me, you know, to a place where, things are happening, you know, marketing is happening, um, and, you know, building a good website. Like, I mean, God, who knew, like, you know, having, you know, an attractive website 
would like make or break your business. And you know, it, it really, it really does. Um, so I, that's where I'm doing a lot. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of more exposure and then also on the ground, you know, it's, um, getting out there and working the market, which is not my favorite thing to do. Um, it's definitely, yeah, something that I still need to <laughs> work on, but you know, it, it's also part of the business. Like if you want, you want to make wine, well, that's great. And that's the fun part of it, but it's the selling part. That's the hard part. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, if you want to make it happen, you have to go out and sell it. And so I'm, I'm super small. So um, right now I'm doing that on my own here um, in Portland. I, ha I mean, I have like a wine broker in, in San Diego, but that's it. It's pretty much just been word of mouth, internet, mm -hmm. and um, you know, just face-to-face -face contact and yeah, hitting the pavement. Um, so I'm curious, you, you, you mentioned kind of falling for Oregon when you, when you got here, falling for Oregon and for the industry. Um, how do you, has that feeling changed at all? How do you feel about the Oregon wine industry today? Do you feel like the changes you've seen are, are positive ones, negative ones? Um, I think a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Um, I, well, like, I mean, I moved from Oregon in 2013. I spent three years abroad mm -hmm. in Mexico. And um, I feel like in the three years that I was gone, um, and it was, I mean, it was already changing and growing, you know, back in 2013, but it seemed like there was a real boom um, that happened in those years that I was away. Because I came back in 2016 and um, I was just kind of blown away by how many new wineries were around and how many urban wineries. Like I was just, you know, back then, like I, I had heard that people were making wine in Portland, but you know, most of the production was out um, in the Willamette Valley. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was really new. And like, you know, I just came back and I was like, geez, I don't even know like who the, I don't, I don't know these names, these mm -hmm. wineries. Like I, I just didn't have a clue. And um, so in 2017, I didn't make any wine for myself and instead worked um, as an intern um, at Furioso mm -hmm. um, Vineyards in Dundee, which is, you know, a, a new winery um, and brand that we're still building. Um, my friend Dom was the winemaker there, um, and he was previously assistant winemaker um, over at Willa Kenzie. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, friends. And, um, but that was like, that was super eye-opening mm -hmm. um, to see all the changes. Um, and some of it, like, um, I still like, yeah, um, it's kind of, it, I mean, it'll never be Napa, but I see a lot catering to that high-end market. Mm -hmm. And that, um, and it's not every winery that's doing it. I mean, it, I think there's the, this whole idea of an experience mm -hmm. um, in wine, which I like, but um, there's also some people who just, that, that, they can't afford that, you know? Um, and that turns some people off too. Like when you're helicoptering into a winery, like I just, um, I don't know, is that necessary? I mean, if you got the money, great. But I mean, I don't, um, that's, that part um, I'm, I'm not too jazzed about, but um, you know, again, it is about that experience. Um, but it's hard for me, I, 
you know, I can't rationalize spending um, $80 on a bottle of Pinot now. Um, that's just not in my budget. Um, so that part, um, that part doesn't appeal to me. Um, but what I do see all around is the accessibility um, of wineries, um, both urban and, you know, in the Willamette and all over, you know, our state now. Mm -hmm. um, the amazing amount of like new people that are coming into the industry, like, um, you know, just the different facets that seem to be more accessible um, to people. Um, the new organizations that are forming, you know, based around, you know, not only women winemakers, um, but, you know, also like there's a new organization called iVoy that's, you know, helping vineyard workers get into like the different facets of um, the wine industry which I just think is awesome and I feel like that's what we need more of. Mm -hmm. We need to be more encompassing to everybody not just you know well these people work in the vineyard, these people just work in the bottling line, these people just work in production, these people are just in the tasting room like you know interweaving all of that mm -hmm. um, and I really like seeing that um, and that happening here in Oregon. And just, I guess, like the presence of women that's really happened in the last two years, I'd say, here in Oregon. Um, and that is just awesome to see. And, you know, like I said before, just production people and um, the women that I meet. And, you know, thank God for these women. A lot of these, you know, women that I've met in the last two years have really, like, held me and supported me, um, you know, because I just got divorced. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and who have helped me because they've been in my situation. Mm -hmm. um, and that is really just comforting. And that's where I feel like we have a very strong community here in the Oregon industry. Pretty amazing answer. Thank you. Um, I'm curious, you talked about your role as a winemaker and most, mostly hands-off and then, and then problem-solving. Mm -hmm. At what point did you feel comfortable or do you not yet feel comfortable with the kind of problem-solving part of it? At what point did you feel confident that you knew what you were doing? Well, I mean, now it's going on like 14 years. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I think I've really stepped into my own and my power and confidence probably just that even in this last year mm -hmm. um, that I've really been like, okay, like I got this. I, I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this long enough. Like, you, you know, you may have a degree from, you know, UC Davis, um, but yeah, I've, I've been doing this a long time and that, I think that says something. Mm -hmm. um, and I think also there's, a, there's uh, an element of trust, not only within yourself, but where you're working, who you're working with, the grapes um, in particular um, that you're working with, like that, um, that really, I think, um, comes into play quite a lot. And then, like I also, uh, where I make my wine in California, there's no commercial yeasts that are allowed um, in the winery. So everything is done by a house yeast. Mm -hmm. So you don't, you don't have control over your house yeast. It's just whatever, you know, picks up and then it starts fermenting. And so coming from working at bigger wineries, um, which can be like a, a, a very controlled environment to being like, okay, I'm just gonna let this ride. 
and you know if it starts to smell like EA or reduction well we're just gonna you know we're gonna do more punch downs we're gonna you know do um, a pump over with aeration um, and just starting with that and then if that's not going to work then we then we can move on um, to something else and then having mentors you know like I have you know lots of friends that I can turn to and call and be like look this is happening um, tell me what to do help me and you know like being able to turn to people and to be able to ask for help um, which I think is um, has been a big thing for me is being able to be vulnerable to ask for help, which um, which I have no problems doing now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll talk about the, your your wine labels because they're, they're pretty fascinating. I'm curious where, where you came up with them and uh, what the kind of what the meaning behind them is. So um, the G ball is the magic eight ball, mm -hmm. um, and I have a magic eight ball over here um but um so growing up i always had a magic eight ball um and like uh my birthday is october 8th eight is my lucky number um being born in october i'm also a libra mm -hmm. we're not the best decision makers at times <laughs> and so like, when i was growing up i just used it like like what am i gonna do today is this a really good decision okay um and so when i was like thinking about making wine and thinking about a logo, um, it kind of just came to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, the magic eight ball. And then the typewriter G looked a lot like an eight. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where, where the G ball came from. And then um, Julian's label, um, The Revolutionary, um, that came because his full name is um, Emiliano Julian Samora Gonzalez. So he's got a very Mexican name. He was, I mean, he was born in Chiapas, mm -hmm. um, so the very southern state in Mexico, um, where Emiliano Zapata. Um, well, he wasn't like that's where not where the Mexican Revolution happened, but the Zapatista movement um, started in Chiapas, and were named after Emiliano Zapata. And so living down there, um, there was the Zapatista. Um, movement um, and, and a Zapatista presence um, mm -hmm. that uh, you would see, you know, on a daily basis, and so um, that's kind of where his, where the pictures and like um, uh, originally came from, and then um, just well, it's homage to my heritage, um, being Mexican American and um, where he was born, um, and so. Now I try and do the labels um, specifically with Emiliano Zapata, but like different pictures of him. Um, and so that's, that's where um, his label comes from. Yeah. That's really cool. Uh, you use your company to support Girls Inc. I'm curious uh, how you support it and, and, and what you're, why, why you're interested in it. So um, I feel that um, part of my career, part of um, my wine company is uh, to give back. Mm -hmm. And um, I got invited to a luncheon um, for Girls Inc. last fall. Um, and I was just so moved by the stories that I heard um, and you know what, what they're doing for 
girls, mm -hmm. basically, you know, all over the nation, but specifically here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and so I was just really inspired um, to do something. Um, I didn't, I couldn't, and I still, like, I'd like to, I'd love to volunteer, um, but, like, my schedule just doesn't permit, so, but I wanted to do something, and I feel like when you give back, like, the universe sends you more, um, and so um, that was part of it, and I, you know, people have helped me along the way, and I would love to be able to help other little girls, and if I can support them monetarily through, you know, a bit of, you know, profit from my wines, like, that's what I want to do. Like, I, I love the fact that, you know, they're providing girls with, you know, workshops and the skills and the confidence to, you know, be in positions of power because we need more of that. And so, yeah, 5% of um, the proceeds from the 2015 um, Cedar Lane Vineyard Syrah um, go to Girls Inc. You talked a little bit about your kind of immediate future plans and your, your desire for growth. Uh, so where do you see yourself in, say, 10 years? Um, in 10 years, hopefully I got this all dialed in. Um, I, you know, I would love to be like in 10 years, like at 5,000 cases um, where the company is sustaining itself. Um, I'm able to pay myself um, sufficiently that maybe I can um, buy a house, um, not only here in Portland, but also, you know, maybe back in Mexico or somewhere else in, in Latin America or, I don't know, just another house that I can go to so I can, um, you know, live part of the time in the country and part of the time abroad. Because that's kind of like, um, that's still my thing. I, I feel, um, well, not only do you learn so much when you live abroad, like about life, like I just feel like travel is like the best education. And, um, you know, we should always continue to be learning throughout life. Um, and I think part of that is, is when you live abroad and you see how other people live and how you can be happy with a lot less. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, just being able to um, be at a point where um, my company is sustaining itself and turning a profit and um, I'm able to keep on traveling. As you grow, do you have any desire to, grow, to make a different kind of wine? Is there a varietal you've wanted to work with that you haven't yet? Oh, yes. Yeah, I mean, um, I would love to go. I made so I made a Viognier mm -hmm. um, from Southern Oregon um, back in 2010, mm -hmm. um, which I absolutely loved. I had never made a white wine before. Um, the only other like whitish wine that I've even gotten to um, is um, I made a rosé of Malbec in 2016. So I would love to go back um, to making some white wines. And especially, I would love to make some cool climate wines, mm -hmm. white wines um, up here. So um, I would love to make a Riesling. Um, so that's one of my dreams, um, is to make a, a cool climate Riesling. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to make some Carignan. Um, and that was part of my blend of Julian's um, wine, but um, I'd just love to make some, you know, just a couple tons of Carignan. Um, 
that would be really fun. Um, and yeah, I'm not, I don't think I want to do Pinot, um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to stick to the bigger varietals, but I'd definitely, yeah, like my dream would be um, to make some Riesling, which I can see if that's going to happen. It's going to happen. Excellent. So, yeah. Uh, what advice would you give someone who wanted to join the wine industry, uh, specifically someone who might want to do something like you're doing, starting their own wine company? Um, I've been asked that before, and I think the um, the best thing that you can do um, is getting a job in a tasting room. I mean, I think if you can, if you like to work with people, um, that's the best way to start because you learn so much in the tasting room. Like, not only are you learning about the wines that you're pouring, but you're also you get to learn about production. And you know, um, at a lot of the smaller wineries, and even some of the bigger wineries, you know, they need help during harvest. So you have the opportunity to go onto the sorting line and you know see how it's actually processed, mm -hmm. because we have this like romantic notion of you know how to make wine, and that's Lucy and Ethel like stomping around you know in their big wooden vat. Um, but when you're actually like uh, in the winery, it's like a lot of um, heavy machinery and stainless steel and I think um, you know it can sometimes take the romanticism out of it but sometimes it can actually accentuate it because you're like whoa this is so cool um, so yeah I think getting a job in a tasting room is a really good place to start because that can open doors into other you know facets of production marketing you know um, out in the vineyard also um, and then you know, just going and taking some classes and tasting wine. Mm -hmm. I think um, you can learn a lot by just tasting. Um, and we're lucky enough to live in a state where we have, you know, plenty of wine that's accessible, not only, you know, in retail shops, at wine shops, but, you know, also you know, at the vineyards and um, wineries. I mean, you can go to Newburgh now and just walk a couple blocks and taste like, you know, 10 different wineries right there. So that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty awesome now. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, a job in a tasting room is a really good place to start. Um, at least that's how I got my start, so, <laughs> so yeah. Talk about the changes you've seen in the Oregon industry, especially when you left it and came back to it. Uh, so what do you see as you look into the future of Oregon wines in the next 10, 15 years? What do you see happening to the Oregon wine industry? Um, I think there's a really strong movement to um, conserve and retain um, what has been started here. Um, and I think there, um, that movement is becoming um, a lot stronger because what we're seeing with climate change is that, you know, we've got a lot of you know, California companies that are coming up to buy vineyards because they know, you know, um, the further north you get, like, the better climate it's going to be because, you know, California's hot. It's on fire, literally. It's on fire. Um, we're lucky that we haven't seen any fires yet, but, um, you know, that's just something now we have to start thinking about. So I think we're going to continue to see, um, you know, more people more corporations coming up um, and buying land, but I, what I also see is that um, the community 
getting much stronger. Um, alliances being formed to keep what was started here because it is really special um, what we have here in Oregon. And um, I think living up here, when you work up here and you see it all, like you just really realize that um, it's it's really special and it's you know it's worth fighting for and and keeping and you know. Well, we still do encompass and we welcome people, you know, but um, keeping that Oregon identity, I think, um, is important. You have experience, obviously, Oregon, California, and, and, and abroad. I'm curious, in your definition, what is it that makes Oregon wine special? What is it unique about the Oregon wine industry? Ooh, well, I would say, like, it's got a lot to do with, with people here. And the great thing about Oregon is like um, we get you know people from all over the world um, they want to come to Oregon to experience it and you know not only consumers but people like within the industry so we just have um, there's just such a unique blend of people here um, from all parts of the world um, <coughs> But what I also really love is that how the Oregon industry, like they take care of their people, mm -hmm. um, you know, like Salud, mm -hmm. um, which is just so important for so many people, mm -hmm. like Ayoy, which is starting, um, you know, like I think it's the people in that genuinely like care about each other. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that's one of the best parts mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. Is there anything? I'm good. Okay. So the questions that I have for you, is there anything that I didn't ask that I should have, anything we should have talked about that we didn't? Um, kind of, you're, you're, you're open mic here, so if there's anything. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm thinking about what, what do we not cover yet. Um, I don't know. You might have gotten it all. <laughs> it's always the goal, but you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your answers yeah. and for uh, sitting down with us today. And uh, we'll go ahead and let you off the hook here. Okay. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.